people are really into whole genome sequencing or sequencing in general and they are really looking forward to be able to use that technology to go to the next level in visualizing epidemiology of the disease and the spread of resistance in the world which only sequencing could give as a result so we are definitely going forward to sequencing based diagnostics Welcome to the Illumina Genomics Podcast, where leading scientists discuss their genomics research and how genomics is shaping their understanding of science and nature. Here's your host, Paul Broman. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 42 of the Genomics Podcast. You know, I just came back from the 29th Annual European Congress of Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases, also known as ECMID held this year in Amsterdam. Now, if you've never been to ECMED, I can tell you that it's one of the largest microbiology conferences in Europe, with about 13,000 attendees from pretty much all over the world. This year, there were a number of talks and posters featuring all kinds of different technologies that research labs and hospitals and private companies are developing for infectious disease diagnostic applications. And this year, I got the chance to sit down with two microbiology experts who are developing next-generation sequencing, or NGS, platforms for clinical diagnostics in microbiology. So first, I talked with Dr. Agathe Jouet, who is research engineer at Genoscreen, a French genomics company. Agathe and her team are developing amplicon sequencing approaches to identify the mycobacteria that can cause tuberculosis, or TB. In amplicon sequencing, oligonucleotide probes target and capture specific regions of interest in a genome, or genomes. And this is followed by deep sequencing of the targeted PCR products. I also talked with Dr. Christoph Rodriguez, who is assistant professor at the University Hospital Henri Mondor near Paris, France. Christophe joined me to discuss his use of shotgun metagenomic sequencing to help diagnose infectious diseases in a clinical setting. In contrast to amplicon sequencing, shotgun metagenomic sequencing uses a combination of NGS and bioinformatics to sequence all of the DNA that's present within a sample. But first, let's hear from Agate. I'm here with Agate Jouet of Genoscreen, who was kind enough to stop by the Illumina booth here at ECMID in Amsterdam. And Agate, thank you for stopping by and, and talking a little bit about your work. Can you briefly introduce who you are and uh, what you do at Genoscreen? Yes, so I'm a research engineer. I actually have a PhD in plant genomics, but then shifted gear to microbial genomics at Genoscreen. And my role in this company, which is a small biotech in France, is to manage the development of our newest assay called Dplex MikeTB, which is an assay to predict um, antibiotic resistance of tuberculosis to many antibiotics all in one go. Can you explain to our listeners sort of the introduction, a background of what tuberculosis is? Yes, so uh, tuberculosis is a bacteria that many, many people have as a latent 
stage and uh, it's uh, the top killer infectious disease in the world today according to the world health organization every year it's 10 million people fell ill with tuberculosis 1.6 million deaths wow so it's really a big disease that we need to uh, to be taken care of what's kind of the traditional way that a physician would diagnose someone that has tb yeah so um tb is a big disease, like very important, like I said previously, but it's also not spread uniformly uh, globally. So usually it's in um, poor countries or continents like Africa, Asia or South America. So the diagnostics methods that can be done quickly and cheaply. Right. So usually we do microscopy just to identify and confirm that you have tuberculosis. So that's a first step. The problem with that step, it's it just gives you an idea of whether the bacteria is present, uh, but it doesn't give you evidence to whether the bacteria that the patient has is uh, resistant or not to antibiotics that uh, can be given as a treatment. And this is... Um, Again, a difficulty with TB is that you have uh, resistant bacteria sometimes to one antibiotic, usually rifampicin, which is the sort of main one that you would give, but sometimes to many antibiotics. And the clinicians have to get a way of knowing what to provide to treat the patient with. Right. So these bacteria, they've they've developed this ability to kind of grow in spite of antibiotic treatment. Yeah, yeah, and you really see um, there are lots of studies showing that even the newest antibiotics like uh, uh, betaquilin, already you see uh, resistance to that antibiotic developing. Wow, that can be a potentially huge medical challenge, right? Because as these bacteria are developing resistance, our ability to actually fight these infections is going down. And in fact, at this yeah. conference this year, I heard about development of a lot of different bacteria that are completely resistant to any medication. Is that yeah. the case for TB? I mean, are there strains of TB resistant to all known medications? You have strains that really have many, many resistance. I don't think it's the most frequent cases. Right. And you still see diseases that you can treat, definitely. But it's really important that diagnostics is made right yeah. because if you don't then you will treat with antibiotics that won't kill the bacteria and the resistance will develop and and just spread. We have TB, we have these mycobacteria that are, are developing resistance to drugs and some of the current diagnostic approaches, kind of the gold standard, doesn't necessarily detect those. So. What's your solution to that? What is GenoScreen doing to kind of develop a better diagnostic solution for TB? So just before I enter this, so you have microscopy, you also have culture. Okay. So you can cultivate on plates the bacteria and then you just test antibiotics directly on the culture and see whether it's going to kill the bacteria So you literally not. grow these bugs in a lab and you just you know, yeah. try different antibiotics exactly. and see if it kills those yeah. bugs. You also have some um, genetic-based method. Usually it's just um, sequencing of one or two genes or genomic regions. This would be using like a PCR approach? Yeah, PCR or 
fluorescence-based method. So we do targeted sequencing. So we will extract the DNA, prepare the sample uh, for sequencing. Uh, but before we do that, we have a step of PCR. So we target and amplify particular genomic regions in tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. And these are regions that we know from the scientific literature are hotspots for mutations that are linked to resistance to different antibiotics. So we have about 13,000 bases of the genome of tuberculosis. So now you have this, basically this solution where diagnostic labs who need an answer, they can get an answer in terms of what are the genes, what are the DNA changes that are associated with resistance. Yeah. So one of the things that, and you also said, in this culture-based diagnostic approach, these bacteria grow fairly slowly, so mm -hmm. it takes several weeks to get an answer. Yeah. With your approach, how long does that, that whole sort of diagnostic workflow take for someone to get an answer? Yeah, so usually we say 48 hours. So it depends on the number of samples that you do. Uh, if you have to prepare a thousand, then it's going to take a, a bit longer. But um, to go from the DNA, which you can directly extract from sputum, so you don't need to culture, you do your PCR, you prepare your sample for sequencing, and then once you get the data, you can go to the web app, and in an hour or less than an hour, you will get your results. Oh, wow. And we try to make the web app really intuitive. So you have all of the antibiotics with a color-coded scheme. So you'll see all the mutations. And if it's red, it means this mutation is linked to resistance. If it's green, it means no resistance to that particular antibiotic. What does the clinician do with that information? What, like... What is the benefit for them? What, what do they act on once they know this information? What can they do with it? Well, they can just tailor the patient uh, treatments, which is really important to avoid uh, spread of the disease and also um, detrimental con um, outcome for the patient. Yeah. And to have that in 48 hours, I think it's really... Uh, a great thing if yeah. I if, yeah if I, I so was a, a clinician I would be happy to have that <laughs> that's awesome let's say five or ten years from now what do you think diagnostics will look like for TB do you think labs will still be doing these kind of older approaches or talk a little bit about that at the moment I think the diagnostics methods that exist are quite complementary mm -hmm. because as I said in uh, some countries they cannot really do sequencing on the Illumina machines that uh, we uh, use. So they would do microscopy. They will continue to do the phenotypic assays uh, using culture, either because it may be cheaper. Actually, I don't know about the price. I think it may be quite expensive still to do culture, but you don't need uh, that many uh, components in the lab. And also, people would want validation of these newer sequencing-based techniques with really phenotypic um, uh, components of the bacteria. 
But definitely I can see going to conferences on, on tuberculosis and other mycobacteria species, which is the same uh, genus as uh, TB. People are really into whole genome sequencing or sequencing in general, and they are really looking forward to be able to use that technology to go to the next level in visualizing epidemiology of the disease and the spread of resistance in the world which only sequencing could give as a result so we are definitely going forward to sequencing based diagnostics awesome well Agate Joe thank you for sharing some of your insights and and insights about TB and about the conference and Thanks for joining us on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Thank you. So amplicon sequencing is an interesting approach that scientists like Agate and others at ECMED are using to detect specific pathogens or drug-resistant strains from a variety of biological samples. But our next guest, Christoph Rodriguez, is using a shotgun metagenomic sequencing approach to characterize a broader array of potentially infectious agents in a biological sample. Christoph Rodriguez, I want to thank you for meeting with me here at ECMED in Amsterdam. It's, a, it's been a great pleasure to get to talk to you, and, and you know, thanks for agreeing to sit, with, sit down with me and talk about your work on the podcast. I was wondering if before we get to some of the scientific and clinical work that you do, if you could just you know, briefly introduce who you are and how you got involved in infectious disease biology. Okay, so many thanks for, for this invitation. I'm an uh, assistant professor in uh, University uh, Hospital Henri Mondor in Créteil near Paris, and I'm responsible of NGS platform, and I'm also virologist. So I have developed a shotgun metagenomic approach to do a clinical diagnosis of uh, infectious disease. This technique is used today in uh, clinical routine, uh, particularly to uh, explore complex cases. But I think in the future, this uh, technology could replace all microbiology technologies. What types of patients would present that need to have some, not, not just NGS testing, but any kind of testing for infectious agents. What kind of patients are these? For example, if a patient has meningitis or an encephalitis or pneumonia, or etc., etc. Et so the patients have clinical symptoms uh, which are compatible with uh, an infectious disease, and uh, the clinician uh, want to explore this, uh, this infection this potential infection, and collect samples for this and send the samples to, to the lab to have an exploration which is uh, clearly oriented for bacteria, viruses, or fungi, but uh, rarely with something which is exhaustive. My understanding is you have some pathogens in mind that might be causative for this, this syndrome. And the approach that you use is what we call a shotgun metagenomic approach, which is maybe if you'd like to just describe what shotgun metagenomics is and, and what that approach is, how it's different from the classical approach. So when uh, you do shotgun approaches, you simply sequence 
all nucleic acids which are in the sample. So you have different ways to, to do this. Uh, you can do enrichment, for example, or not. We, we have decided in, in our approach to do nothing on the sample. We sequence the samples like this to have no bias. Uh, so you just take a biological sample from a patient and yeah. you just... Extract yes. DNA and sequence yes. that. So difficult things uh, you have when you do this is uh, you have a very l- a small piece of sequences which are from the pathogens. It's clearly uh, the bioanalysis which is uh, difficult, but because you don't do bias uh, at the beginning, you can also provide a lot of interesting information like quantification, etc., etc. So clearly it's difficult to, to analyze, but it's very interesting for, for the patient. So your workflow is you, collect, you take that sample, you collect DNA, and then you sequence everything that's in that sample. And I can imagine that much of that could be like human DNA, right? It's a human yeah. sample that, that's potentially infected. And I imagine that if you look at a clinical sample, you'll probably find more than one microbe sequence yeah. there, right? So how do you analytically look through that and try to sift through it and and try to understand what is the causative agent for a particular syndrome. So first, uh, in each run we do, we use a negative control, which is uh, water we we use with with nothing, because the the kits we use can contain some uh, bacterial DNA particularly, but also because environment could contain some uh, fungi, for example. Right. We have to, to collect this information. Then uh, the, the software we have developed uh, will calculate a background noise of uh, bacterial, fungi, and viral DNA, uh, and also RNA, because we also sequence RNA. And uh, it will remove automatically this background noise to each patient b- before a normalization uh, yeah. with the number of sequence, uh, b- because it can uh, be different uh, between different patients and with the negative control. So I- it's clearly a really important thing because you cannot conclude easily if you don't ha- have this. You're delivering this data to a clinician in terms of a report, right? Yeah. So how do you deliver that to a clinician? What do they see? You know, I'm sure they don't see all the all the sequence reads that you generate, but what does a, a physician see at the yeah. end? So clearly, we, we don't provide the sequence <laughs> to the clinician. It's uh, clearly important to, to provide uh, an easy-to-use information because they don't have so much time to, uh, to read the, the report. So... Uh, we have for this a report which is uh, similar to what we can find with uh, panel PCR. But the difference is uh, you have a category with uh, bacteria, a category with uh, fungi, uh, parasites and viruses. And you just have absence or presence. If you have presence, you just have the name of the pathogen and also uh, when it's possible we also have the the quantification of the pathogen but it's just what we provide and because of the filter we we have put on the uh, on the bioanalysis uh, at the end we just provide one or two bacteria or viruses something like that so it's not a, a long list of Okay. of bacteria we, we provide. It's uh, clearly really easy to, to use. I've done some podcasts in the past uh, with people who are doing this kind of approach. 
And a lot of them say, you know, one of the questions you have when a patient presents with these kinds of symptoms is you, there's a question, is it an infectious agent or is it an autoimmune disorder? So what you're saying is you can actually, with this one uh, workflow, you can sort of test that hypothesis, whether there's an infectious agent present that's likely to be causative or there's some variant in some gene that exactly. is known to cause autoimmune disease. Cause so, so you could do that kind of analysis. Yes, uh, it's uh, clearly interesting because today when we find pathogens like herpes virus, for example, it's uh, clearly difficult to, to know if, this, if it's a latent virus or if it's an infectious uh, virus. The first thing is we can see the, the RNA of the virus because it's a DNA virus but if you, we, we have RNA it's probably because it replicates so it's interesting to know this so we, we can provide this information and the other thing is the immune system what is the response of the immune system if the immune system is active again against virus and against DNA viruses clearly we have a lot of evidence for a, an infection Right. So really, it's not just a presence or absence of a virus. We can give more information. I'm sure if you're a physician and, and maybe you're thinking about this kind of approach for a particular patient, you might be thinking, well, I've been do- I'm used to this culture-based approach, and I know that this has the sensitivity to detect a lot of the, the pathogens out there. What's the sensitivity of the metagenomic approach? Is it more sensitive than a culture-based technique? I mean, do you need more sample? How does that, how does yeah. that work? Uh, it's, it's really important, yes. Today, our technology is uh, accredited, and uh, we have tested uh, our technology against uh, uh, panel PCR, for example, mm-hmm. in uh, external control. And uh, clearly, we have sensitivity today, which is similar to what we have with qPCR. It's approximately the same. Comparing to culture, it's not so evident because it depends. Right. Uh, for example, with blood culture, because blood culture, you, you use a large volume of blood because you multiply the number of blood cultures you, you, you will do, you will have probably more sensitivity uh, with blood culture, for example. If we do metagenomic with the same amount of of sample and uh, if you do a lot of metagenomic, maybe you will have the same sensitivity, but today it's clearly uh, not the way we have. So probably blood culture replaced by metagenomic is not mm, not for now right. uh, but, but so maybe for the future when we were talking before i was i was actually you were you were you were talking about some of the clinical cases some of the specific clinical cases where this technology's made a, a really big impact and i was struck by that and i think we always have to keep in mind that any technology is only as good as the positive impact it makes on the patient so can you you know, maybe talk about some of those clinical cases where this particular technology has really made a huge impact on these patients' lives. So today, the, the, the type of uh, pathogens we, we find with our technologies are classical pathogens found in uh, atypical presentation of, of the disease. In this case, it's clearly really interesting because the patients, uh, uh, so the clinician, don't ask for the good test, and because of this, we don't have the good information. So, 
our approach don't need to make a, a prior choice for the pathogen. So it's, it's unbiased, right? Yes, Could it's be. unbiased. So you you will find your your pathogen whatever you have in mind at the beginning and whatever the presentation of, of the clinical case. I've got, for example, a case is we we just have the, the month before of a patient which have a, a measles. We have a, a big epidemia in Europe. Uh, in the US actual. too, we, yes. we see measles so coming back. The patients don't have any uh, skin symptoms, so it will be very difficult to, to make a diagnosis when you don't have uh, anything on the skin. And uh, the, the patient have an uh, encephalitis, very severe uh, encephalitis, and they test a lot of things, but not measles, because they don't think about this. So after that, maybe it's easy to say, oh, they, they have to test also measles. But when you have your patient with no skin presentation, it's clearly difficult to, to, to do the, the, the good test. So clearly in the future, so the clinician don't have to ask for something particular and they, they will have the right information very quickly and they can maybe have a good management of the patient before uh, uh, an advanced disease. Mm -hmm. The other cases uh, we, we have, uh, and which is really interesting, is when we find uh, a particular pathogen, which is very rare or never described in, the, in human. Uh, we have another patient, a pediatric patient. It's a dramatic uh, story because uh, this patient was uh, uh, immunocompromised because of an innate uh, disease and she was uh, bone marrow transplanted and uh, all was good so uh, she was uh, allowed to uh, to do a trip uh, so she, she does a, a trip in the Middle East with the, the, their parents and uh, she comes back uh, and just the, the day after it's come back she, she uh, developed an uh, encephalitis with a fever and etc etc it was uh, explored by uh, brain biopsies. It was really uh, oh wow, that sounds uh, pretty in yes. invasive. Yeah, and uh, by classical uh, uh, technologies, and they didn't find anything. And finally, they send us the biopsies, uh, and uh, we find a, a very rare virus because it's uh, an avulavirus, a paramyxoviridae virus, which is present in uh, birds and which give encephalitis in, in birds. Clearly, uh, there is just one case which is described in the literature, so clearly we don't have any uh, clinical diagnostic for this, wow. so it's impossible to... So there's to just make. one case that's been described yes, previously. Yes, so with our approach, you will be able to diagnose everything, so it's clearly important. And more important, we had the possibility to... Uh, to give a lot of information about this virus because we can do the, the, the entire genome, we can provide a phylogeny and we show that it was a pigeon from Middle East uh, <laughs> which uh, gives the, the disease. So it's interesting because we can uh, have the whole history. And the final thing is, because we have also the mutation of the virus, we, we can show that this virus was particularly virulent because the fusion protein was particular. So I've talked to different scientists who are applying NGS technology in the clinical space, and one of the things we talk about is 
you know, clinicians are not typically trained on next generation sequencing and, and this technology platform. Do you find in your interaction with clinicians that you need to do any kind of education to kind of help them to understand what the implications of the data are? Yes, clearly they don't know at the beginning what we can provide. Right. Uh, but when they know what we can do, they, they are really impressed and they want more and more. So clearly, uh, at the beginning, we worked with uh, clinicians which are very interesting and which are very interested with, with this technology. And they speak about this to other clinicians. There's other clinician who comes to us and we try to learn this technology and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So at the first, they just test because they want to know if there is a, a pathogen. But after, they say, yes, but you can also quantify. <laughs> yes, we can do this. And uh, if I give... If I want um, some information uh, about the severity, etc., yes, we can also provide. So they learn uh, w with us uh, because we have a close discussion with the clinician. And it's clearly really interesting because we are in personalized medicine and we answer the question specifically for the patient and the, the cases. Where do you see the future of clinical diagnostics? I mean, there's been so many really interesting talks here at ECMID and interesting posters about, you know, where people think the future is going to be. What is diagnostic testing going to look like five or ten years from now? So first, it's not a, a first line for the moment because we have to be confident with clinicians to provide good diagnostics. So we have to have a background uh, about this, but uh, I'm confident for the future. I think it will replace a lot of, lot of things. So if we will have a good sequencer, I think all the rest of the technology is ready to provide a very interesting diagnostic. And I don't see why it will not replace all the technology we have today in microbiological uh, laboratory. That's wonderful. Christophe, it was really nice talking to you. I really enjoyed meeting you here at ECMID, and uh, thank you for joining us on the Illumina Genomics Thanks Podcast. Thanks to you. Well, a very special thanks to both Agate and Christophe for sharing their work and their views on NGS and clinical microbiology. And many thanks to you for listening to our show today. If you liked what you heard, how about subscribing to our podcast? You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, or basically wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to our show from Siri, Alexa, or your Google Assistant. Just say, play the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Join me next time when I'll be talking with Dr. Matt Might, professor and Hugh Call Endowed Chair in Personalized Medicine at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. We'll be discussing rare diseases and precision medicine right here on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Mm -hmm.